from KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Michael Krasny. Two Democrats are competing for the Silicon Valley-based state Senate seat vacated by Jim Beal, who turned out this year. On the ballot in State Senate District 15 are Dave Cortese, a Santa Clara County supervisor, and Ann Ravel, an attorney and former member of the Federal Election Commission under President Obama. Coming up, we'll hear the candidates' positions on the economy, housing, education, and the state's COVID-19 response, and we'll take your questions. That's next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. In this hour, we welcome Democrats Ann Ravel and Dave Cortese, candidates for state Senate representing District 15, which encompasses a large portion of Santa Clara County, including San Jose, Cupertino, and Los Gatos. They're vying to replace longtime Democratic state Senator Jim Beal, who termed out this year. Ann Ravel, a lawyer, was a Democratic appointee to the Federal Election Commission under President Obama, and before that was chair of the California Fair Political Practices Commission under Governor Jerry Brown. Dave Cortese is a member of the Santa Clara County Board of Supervisors, first elected in 2008 and re-elected in 2012 and 2016. And before that, he served for eight years on the San Jose City Council, including two years as vice mayor. Welcome to both of you. First, let me welcome you, Ann Ravel. Thank you so much, Michael. It's great to be back on your show. Good to have you back with us and good to have you too, Dave. Dave Cortese, welcome. Hey, good morning. Thank you very much. Good to be here. And let me just say that both of these candidates are Democrats. They are both uh, eminently qualified in terms of public service and their experiences. And this is perhaps the most competitive race in the state. And certainly uh, the most outside spending has come into this race of any in the state. And let me begin, if I may unravel with you, and let's begin by talking about COVID since it is so much in the news uh, still nationally and here in the state. We um, essentially have uh, a very cautious approach, I would characterize it, that has been consistent with Public Health Director Sarah Cody. And I'm wondering if that response, especially in terms of business reopenings, is the one that you pretty much support, or would you have gone in different directions? And if so, what would those different directions be? Uh, thanks. Yeah, I, I, I think that um, the need to be cautious because of the health issues is definitely a significant way to do public policy. But I also worry because I know that trust in government is a foundation for the success of public policy that's going to uh, hope to maintain social co cohesion and compliance with regulations. And while the health aspects of the policies have been good, the political aspects have not. And that's one of the problems because we know throughout the state there have been differences in what people can do and can't do. And the same was true in Santa Clara County where uh, first orders said you could engage in construction of uh, affordable housing, but not of market rate housing or any other kind of housing, which is not a health concern. And so I think that 
while yes, it's important to look at both aspects, you really have to be fair to people because what happens when you aren't is that you find those people who are going to not comply with the rules and not feel as if they're being engaged in the policies. And I think that's problematic. Well, I thank you for that response. Let me go right to you, Dave Cortese, and ask you similarly to respond to the approach that's been essentially uh, led by Sarah Cody in Santa Clara County to the pandemic. And what about another spike and how best to prepare for another spike? The, the issue of another spike is on everybody's mind, not just weekly or daily, but every hour of the day. There's an emergency operations center that was stood up you know, by the county. Um, I think that's true of every county in the state of California, uh, probably. Uh, but in our county, which was the original hotspot where the, the first death, uh, COVID-related death was identified, um, and where the first shelter-in-place orders took place um, in March, uh, just, just before St. Patrick's Day, uh, you know, the from that point on, there's been literally a minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour analysis of what's going on, what the trends are, uh, what the ICU numbers are, how many people are are dying, uh, which is still a significant number, as you know. So, uh, you know, this issue of I, I came over to the board uh, to the San Jose City Council um, per my earlier introduction <laughs> um, in 2001 at the age of 45 after leaving a pretty lengthy business career. So it was very interesting to be on the board of supervisors, and it has been um, during this pandemic. Uh, as business folks have come forward and said, we need to talk to somebody who understands what we're dealing with um, and can help translate that to the public health department and try to get protocols written and try to get adjustments made. Um, you know, and it, it, it's something that um, has been important for me to work on over the last few months. I think the county's done a good job. I think we're generally recognized uh, throughout the country as having done a good job. Well, Ann Ravel, you mentioned housing, and I'd like to go right to that straightforward and get some responses to you. I know you've been talking a good deal about putting housing first and building more affordable housing, particularly so that uh, firefighters and teachers and those who are public servants can live in Santa Clara County and live in uh, an area which is known for its high price. So let's talk about what you envision in terms of not only affordable housing, but incentivizing housing and particularly with equity in mind. Right. I, I, there's no question that we need to do that. And affordable housing has not been prioritized, as well as in particular what's called the missing middle, which is exactly what you're talking about, and where teacher housing and, and other housing for people who are actually needed in and essential in our community, uh, they cannot receive some of those tax credits and the like. So that is really problematic here. Um, and what we have to do, I believe, is uh, one thing is to require the governments that have excess land, because land here is extremely expensive, to give it up and make it available for housing, in particular for, for um, those people who are in the missing middle. Um, and we also have the state should be investing, in my opinion, in modular housing and other mechanisms that will 
be able to build it more quickly and less expensively rather than doing what has been done in the past, which is just uh, help compensate big developers. Um, I think what we need to do is actually get more people working and be able to provide housing at lower cost. And there is and has been real advancements in modular housing and making it bigger um, so that it could accommodate uh, larger groups of people. And I think that those two things would go a long way in this county, which also uh, has extremely expensive housing costs and most people can't afford to live here. Now, what about something else which you've mentioned, which is more responsibility for corporations with housing in the community? How would that play? Yes, well, no question about it. I think that corporations need to take responsibility. Uh, one of the concerns that you see is, for example, in Cupertino, where Apple built their giant spaceship uh, and did not have any support, at least initially, for housing when they were attracting thousands of employees and any support also for the transportation gridlock that was caused because of that. And I think that corporations uh, really need to step up and take that responsibility. And some have more than they previously did. But I do think that there probably needs to be some kind of tax which relates to the size of the building, the corporation, and how many employees they have. And I know head taxes have uh, been struck down in other places, but I think if it's done creatively, it, it could make that requirement one that will make corporations more part of the community and more responsible for the problems that they're causing. And Dave Cortez, if I could go to you on housing, uh, you've uh, put a good deal of emphasis on climate crisis and it's tied to housing. And I'd like to hear what you have to say about that, but also homelessness and affordable housing. Uh, you've talked a good deal about moving construction more quickly and environmental obstacles being to some extent not necessarily put aside, but all that litigation which holds up development for years with pretexts uh, coming under some fire by your campaign. So tell us what you envision. Oh, obviously we we have to do something different than what's been done uh, most recently in terms of the tools. The tools that are being used have created a situation where we're um, creating jobs in the Bay Area at a six to one ratio over housing. And that's been going on for a long time. Uh, as chairman of the Metropolitan Transportation Commission, the regional body of 101 cities and nine counties, uh, I pulled together something called the Committee to House the Bay Area, an 18 month uh, private sector, public sector analysis of, of, of what needed to be done um, one of the things I suggested in that process was a vehicle miles traveled tax, you know, and you talk about uh, corporations and big employers doing their part. Um, right now, there's not a connection between corporate hiring and where the people are coming from. We have 157,000 in commutes, meaning commutes from the Central Valley every day into the Bay Area, uh, particularly pre-COVID, of course. That's going to come back as soon as we have a vaccine. Um, that's unsustainable. And you look at the greenhouse gases that that's creating, um, that's unsustainable as well in terms of our climate crisis. So, um, you know, we need, we need uh, to expedite housing. You, you mentioned that. Um, I supported uh, 
SB 50 requested amendments, worked with Senator Weiner on those amendments. Um, you know, he came back with a bill that respected local zoning and local general plans, uh, you know, put some height limits on it, uh, put parking back in the hands of local governments and some things like that. Um, you know, we need, to, we need to do things like that to, to expedite housing, make sure it goes in the right places, make sure it's along transit corridors. I thought the, the authorization that we did to allow BART to put housing right on their, their sites, um, on their own locations, without uh, local government interference was, was an excellent move, um, and we need to do more of that. Um, Let me but, just jump uh, in here because we're coming up on a break uh, and we'll be back for more. Uh, if you've just joined us, we're talking to Ann Ravel and Dave Cortezzi, candidates for California State Senate District 15 in Santa Clara County. What are your questions for the candidates? If you're a District 15 voter, what state issues are most pressing for you? And you can give us a call now. The number to call is 866-733-6786. That number again for your calls, 866-733-6786. And you can also, of course, get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email any questions you may have to forum at kqed.org. We'll continue and we'll continue to hear from both candidates and from you as we proceed here on Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're talking to Ann Ravel and Dave Cortese about, uh, excuse me, Dave Cortese. Both are candidates for California State Senate in District 15 in Santa Clara County. And if you have questions for the candidates, uh, please feel free to join us. Our toll-free number is 866-733-6786, or you can get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email any questions you may have to forum at kqed.org. And Dave, uh, let me give you a little more time here. We had to go to that break, so... Uh, Please feel extended for at least another minute or so to amplify on what you were talking about before the break. Well, thank you very much. I think one of the things you were alluding to was possible CEQA reform. I'm talking about streamlining uh, the environmental process, but um, you, you know, nobody wants to water down environmental protections, at least I don't. Um, but what we do need to do is to make sure that when somebody files a CEQA suit, uh, given the fact there's so many frivolous suits out there and suits that are just intended to obstruct uh, a project going forward, particularly a housing project, uh, I think we need judicial reform. Uh, it's really not reform. It's just a prioritization to get those cases to the front of the docket to, to move them forward through the judicial process quickly, just like you would an election law matter. Some people listening are probably still remember the hanging chads in uh, the Gore Bush situation. You remember how quickly uh, the litigation moved through the system. Um, it, it just takes state law to, to fix that. Um, and, and we can get that one off out of the way, I think. Um, lastly, you know, Jim Bell endorsed me and he was supporting um, the creation of a statewide housing finance agency. I think that's critical. Uh, I think um, it's, it's been missing in action since uh, redevelopment went away. Redevelopment uh, used to put 20% of its money into housing. Um, we're feeling the effects of that. And I support that kind of an approach as well, an, an approach that uses tax credits uh, and financial incentives to try to expedite housing in the right places uh, and, and to co-locate it closer to work and create the incentives for these employers to hire people near their work. And if they don't, uh, they, ought to pay, uh, they ought to pay some kind of a, a surcharge for that distance people are having to travel to get to work. We can put that money into GHG reduction. 
Since you mentioned uh, Jim Beale's endorsement, Jim Beale has been termed out, so that's the seat that you two are vying for here. I wonder if you could address something that's uh, come up in the campaign. I want to get back to housing, and I obviously want to talk about many other things like police reform and education, and there's a lot to cover with both of you. But I just want to get you to respond because it's come up in the campaign. Uh, there are pictures of you at Moffett Field with President, former President Barack Obama, who has endorsed your opponent, uh, Ann Ravel, and their campaign says that you were trying, essentially your campaign was trying to make it seem as if President Obama was supporting you. Could you address that? You know, I, I think uh, I, I think uh, Ms. Ravel has her relationship with the President of the United States, and I have mine, uh, and I don't begrudge her, you know, her lived experience uh, with, with the administration, with the White House, and I would hope nobody would begrudge me mine. Uh, the President uh, invited me to Moffett Field a few months before he was uh, termed out. And, uh, you know, the message I got was the President of the United States wants you to meet him on the tarmac uh, when he arrives. When I met him there, uh, we, we spoke. Uh, it happened to be the day that there was a major DACA setback, and we talked about that briefly. Um, it wasn't a place to have a deep policy discussion, but, you know, I thanked him for all of the um, interactions um, and support that his uh, staff, his team, had, had given us here in Santa Clara County and me particularly over the years. Uh, and he thanked me for my efforts as well. And it felt like a, a nice piece of closure. But my relationship started really with uh, somebody you might not think it would start with. And that, that's uh, the sheriff of Maricopa County, Joseph Arpaio, and uh, the old SB uh, 1070 Arizona bill that basically legalized uh, detention of people based on how they look, whether they look like immigrants or not. Um, and the White House, uh, I was president of the Board of Supervisors at the time, the White House specifically asked me and our county council, Miguel Marquez uh, and our board to lead the effort to create a national litigation program uh, to challenge that bill, which had already spread to over 30 states. We did, we went to the Supreme Court, we won. And from that point on, um, you know, key contacts inside the White House, uh, including the president, um, had me on conference calls, had me in and out of the White House. It's all on my, uh, it's all on my appointment calendar. We have public calendars in Santa Clara County, um, you know, uh, on, on issues that involve everything from solar expansion to veterans homelessness to uh, continued work in terms of immigration reform. So I'm proud of that work, but it shouldn't be a, a dispute about, uh, you know, uh, who has a relationship and who doesn't, or who should use a picture and who doesn't. I think, um, really neither side should begrudge the other uh, whatever relationship they had with the White House during that period. And I, well, again, let me I'm ask proud. Ann Ravel, then what's the beef here, Ann? Well, first off, uh, uh, Sam Licardo, who's the mayor of San Jose, was right there uh, at that uh, event and has issued a letter saying he was standing next to the president and that was not the content. He said there were hundreds of people there and it was a rope line and people just uh, came in for and talked to the president for a minute in sort of a, a photo op and it had nothing to do. And he, and he specifically said that he uh, overheard the conversation with the president and uh, Mr. Cortese and it wasn't as it's being described. But the beef is that the in endorsement from President Obama um, came solely to me, and I am the only person in the entire state 
at the state level who received an endorsement from President Obama. And it is because I was in the Obama administration twice. You mentioned the Federal Election Commission, I believe, but I also uh, started in 2009 at the Department of Justice as a Deputy Assistant Attorney General, a political appointee. And my work there was to go after Wall Street uh, for the housing crisis that had and the financial meltdown that occurred. And I started the big short case and had a lot of connections and did the work that that administration was really concerned about doing. In addition, I oversaw the oil spill in the Gulf and made the deal and the ultimate settlement with BP to clean it up, which they're still doing to this day. And it is because of the things that I did for the president, including at the FEC, when he asked me uh, to stay at the FEC because and you, you and I have had this conversation, it was terribly dysfunctional and I wanted to come back home to my family because I was sacrificing uh, essentially six years of my life in, in the federal government to help the public. Um, and I didn't feel that I was able to continue to do that in uh, about February, I believe it was, uh, of uh, 2016. And I was asked very strongly to remain on behalf of the president. So to have ads, to have, uh, to, to air communications that make it sound as if my opponent was actually supported by the president is not true. And I actually worked in the White House and I worked closely with people who did immigration. And I have recently asked them, including uh, Mr. Marquez and others and, and that he mentions, but others who actually worked in the administration. And they said they have never heard of Dave Cortese. And those people concentrated on immigration issues. <clears throat> so yeah, excuse me, let me, my, just, let me just jump in for a moment I'm and sorry. ask you though, because um, I do want to get to the issues, but uh, the other side has said that uh, the fact that you have all this White House experience notwithstanding, um, you haven't held a public office or been elected to a public office and there would be a great learning curve for you. And I'd like you to address that briefly if you could. Yeah, well, it is true that I have not held public office, but in fact, I have worked for elected public officials for my entire career, which spans uh, 40 years of service at every level of government. And in fact, I really understand how to get things done in government. And in when I was at the FPPC, and you may recall this, uh, I did a case uh, about dark money in the elections that came right before the election and within a week and a half went to the California Supreme Court to force them to turn over their information. And it turned out that it was Koch Brothers committees. And after we obtained a uh, $16 million back to the state of California for those illegal actions, I worked on legislation at the state level worked with the legislature and passed legislation that would en enable more cases like that and not present the difficulties and be able to have more transparency to the public, which is something that I care deeply about. So 
I've not only written legislation, I've worked with the legislature. I worked with the legislature when they were going to make a deal on the issue of uh, the lead paint case that I had filed. Uh, and when I came back from DC, I was asked by the county council's office because I started that case uh, to work not only with the AG, the secretary of state and others to talk and the legislature who I did negotiate with and talk to about not making a deal with the lead paint companies. So I have extensive experience. I know how to work with others. I'm not just voting on something because I've been told or asked to do that. I have actually started programs that help people. And I think that that extensive public service truly for the public, truly on behalf of all the people has been an ex excellent experience in how to negotiate as well as how to get things done. Let me go to, if I may then, um, the economy. And uh, let's begin on this with you. I want to get back to housing too, and I want to get to our callers. There's lots to cover here, but uh, Dave Cortese, uh, I'm wondering about the positions that you hold on uh, State Proposition 15. There is, uh, There has been a Senate estimate of about eight and a half, uh, well, eight to 12 and a half billion dollars that would be generated from that 60% to local governments and 40% to school and community colleges. Uh, your opponent, Ann Revel, has said it would have a negative impact on small businesses, particularly be a costly burden on the county assessor. So she's opposed to it. Uh, is she wrong? Well, I'm not going to worry about the county assessor, uh, pre-Prop 13 county assessors throughout the state. Uh, never seem to have much problem uh, increasing people's assessed valuation from year to year. That's why we have Prop 13 in the first place. And, uh, I, you know, look, the year over year, you know, I've resisted anything like sp split role because I was worried uh, to some extent about how it would operate and who it would impact. Um, we are in a situation now where, especially in the Bay Area, sales taxes go to transportation. I mean, that's where they go. It's become a 25-year tradition at this point. The school districts are having a hard time, especially the poorer school districts, raising money any other way. Uh, parcel taxes aren't popular. Two-thirds votes are required. Um, we're in a situation where the state's got a $54 billion deficit, general fund deficit. Education is normally the state's number one spending priority. Uh, local school districts are suffering their own deficits because of pandemic. The counties can't bail them out. Our county just because of COVID is looking at a $600 million deficit instead of a surplus we've had over the past few years. So where are we gonna get the money to educate our kids, especially in a period of time where we're talking about having to possibly uh, teacher up even more because we have to keep kids in smaller cohorts as long as we don't have a vaccine. Um, you know, I, I don't think we can wait anymore. And I have, you know, I'm a commercial property owner. Um, but I don't think properties that, you know, haven't been reassessed since 1962 or 1972 or 1982, like many of the, the tech headquarters and, and a lot of uh, the retail commercial property in our valley and, and in the Bay Area, I don't think they deserve to be protected indefinitely from a property tax increase. What I am for and what Prop 15 protects um, is residential uh, protections. Uh, I you know, you have, uh, and the public has my ironclad guarantee that I will never uh, support the reversal of the residential protections in Prop 15. Um, and there are agricultural protections in Prop 15 and, and open space, 
you know, vacant lot. Uh, if you have a vacant lot you want to build a house on, that's protected too. So really what we're talking about here is, you know, what we hear from, from the right all the time. Every time we try to get revenue up for the schools, what we hear is that's going to be a job killer. And I think that's what we're hearing, you know, from my opponent. It's going to be a job killer. Uh, it's going to hurt small businesses. The fact of the matter is um, the, the commercial uh, we, corporate profits are at an all-time high here in California. Uh, equilibrium uh, in, in the market conditions will, will take place. Um, this is something the schools need right now, and, and I would encourage people to vote for it. Let me go back to you on this, Unravel, if I could. Uh, l let me be direct and ask you how to make up the shortfall in your judgment other than finding waste or fraud or abuse and those kinds of things. Right. Well, I, I, let me, let me, if you don't mind, if I can um, make a slight response to this, because he failed to speak about um, some of the real issues, I think, that we're facing here. And I do not uh, disagree at all that corporations have to pay their fair share. And there is, you know, no, no doubt that what I would want to do would be to deal with a lot of the uh, loopholes in taxes that are uh, taken advantage of by corporations so that there is um, more fairness and more funding in the state. But this measure uh, was great for when the economy is booming. But since COVID, what we know is that we have had the highest numbers in California of permanent and even temporary business closures. Um, it's unbelievable the numbers of businesses that have small businesses that have closed. We're not talking about corporations, but small businesses that employ nearly half of the private workforce in California. And many of them, in fa fact, most of them are people of color. And most of the business owners of small businesses are people of color. And this impact has been enormous in Santa Clara County. And what is has been done in the way that this measure was written is that if you are a business of $3 million or more, uh, then you will have to be reassessed. And the problem with that is, first off, there are lots of small businesses um, that actually do are, are owners that are $3 million or under, or, but, or more, I'm sorry, to some degree. But also, all um, of those small businesses at $3 million, small, small companies that own that property, uh, pass on through the uh, triple net uh, payments. They pass on the rent, uh, the tax increases to the renters and to the small businesses. So timing is so important in this case because those people can't afford it now. They're closing now. And people are dependent on those jobs. And so this is not going to be helpful. And the answer about the, the flip answer about uh, assessors can do this. In fact, the assessors have a report and most of them voted in support of uh, um, disagreeing with mm -hmm. Prop 15. And the reason for that is they're saying it's going to cost about $2 billion for them 
to get a new computer system in place that's going to actually be able to uh, implement this as well as uh, more employees in order to work on it as well as more lawyers to deal with assessment appeals um, so uh, this this is actually going to be a huge cost we're going to a break but when we return we will continue and we will hear from both candidates and hear from you and again we do invite you to join the program you can give us a call now at 866-733-6786 that's 866-733-6786 and get in touch as well on twitter and facebook or at kqed forum or email any questions you might have to forum at kqed.org i'm michael krasny You're listening to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're talking to Ann Ravel and Dave Cortezi about uh, State Senate District 15 in Santa Clara. They are both running for state senator, and you may have questions for the candidates or comments, and if so, we invite you to participate. In fact, let me bring a caller on here. David joins us. David, join us, please. Uh, yes, yeah, so my question is about Prop 15, specifically about the $3 million cut-in. Um, I, I totally agree the large tech companies shouldn't benefit from the split from uh, Prop 13, but I think $3 million in Santa Clara County will affect so many small business. So did either candidate have any input into Prop 13, especially around choosing $3 million instead of, say, $35 million? And what would they think if, on this proposition if, say, the cut-in was $35 million? Okay, thank you for that question, and let me go first to you on that, Dave Cortese. Yeah, I don't think the $3 million is, is perfect in um especially in Santa Clara County, you make a good point about Silicon Valley, you get into Stanislaus County or Modoc County or uh, a large number of the other 58 counties in California, it's a, it's a really good number. Uh, so, you know, that's a problem with referendums. Um, rarely are they, are they perfect, but I think the real question is, you know, can we wait? Are we going to, are we going to fall for, you know, the argument that uh, let's wait another couple of years to another election cycle and we'll get it right next time. You know, that's been going on now for a while. And uh, really, you know, it isn't that I so much like the three million. As I mentioned, I'm a commercial property owner. It's listed right on my, uh, my you know, my public disclosure forms. Um, uh, this is going to hit every one of my commercial properties. If I voted my personal interest um, in terms of my investments, um, you know, I'd be concerned about that. And I wouldn't, honestly, I wouldn't blame a voter who owns a, a $3.1 million property for, for voting no if they want to. But I just, uh, in my position as an elected official and as somebody who's excited about being a state senator, I have to represent everyone, including students, teachers, and poor school districts uh, that really have no place else to go. And that's just a, a tough decision you have to make. Well, since you mentioned that, let me follow that up with, uh, and we'll get to uh, back to Unravel in a moment, but with the question having to do was something I wanted to cover with both of you, and that is, uh, excuse me, police reform, because Santa Clara County Sheriff Lori Smith has endorsed you, Dave Cortese, and uh, uh, you've got support from the State Corrections Officers Labor Union, and uh, there's been a question from the opposition about whether voters can actually trust you with those kinds of supporters uh, to essentially reform not only local jails, but, well, criminal justice reform statewide. Yeah, I, you know, and, and I think if I was not an elected official, if I was, uh, you know, a businessman running for this seat or somebody who didn't have an ongoing track record, uh, that would be an even better question. Uh, but the, 
fact of the matter is you can look at my ongoing uh, track record in terms of, of how I'm voting, what I'm doing, what I'm cutting in the budget process in Santa Clara County where you have an $8 billion budget uh, and we, we, we cut millions and millions of dollars out of uh, both the correction and uh, sheriff's budget this year. Uh, record numbers. Um, we adopted eight can't wait. Um, I voted for that as well, which are eight reforms, um, you know, that one of my colleagues brought forward and uh, are common to see elsewhere. I brought forward um, a, uh, I brought forward a resolution, uh, the first one in California by a county uh, to declare racism a public health crisis. And if you read that resolution closely, um, you'll see uh, the actions embedded within it that need to be taken um, department by department, including law enforcement to straighten things out. I think the biggest issue is transparency right now. And it's just an issue of, you know, that, uh, you know, lawyers and governments and, and the public have been fighting over, including the news media is uh, how sacred is a, is a police officer's personnel file. And I think the bottom line is um, if you don't get citizen oversight involved in what's happening with the few bad cops that we have in every department, we're going to continue to have uh, police brutality problems, excessive force problems, and, and worse. And it all it takes is, uh, you know, one, one bad cop out of, out of a thousand to trigger a really, really bad outcome, whether it's a public protest and one of them decides to get in a fight with a, with a, a college student or, or whether worse, uh, like we see with the BLM movement, uh, and the George Floyd murder. So uh, I'm all in on, on reform. I, I have been, but you don't, you don't need to take my word for that. You can just look, you can literally go to my county uh, website or the county website, which is um, very proficient at listing uh, everything that we've been doing over the last several months and, and beyond. I'd like to point out something in 2010, when I first became president of the board of supervisors, the first of four times um, I called for juvenile hall to be put out of business in Santa Clara County. We had almost 400 kids in juvenile hall disproportionately represented with kids of color. I just looked at the census report a couple of days ago. It was at 49. It's at 49. That's real reform. Um, when we had a death in the jails, um, uh, shocked everybody. Uh, I immediately within 24 hours called for a blue ribbon task force independent of the board of supervisors, uh, put Lodoris Cordell in charge of it. Um, put uh, citizens uh, from all over the county on it. They came up with 600 recommendations uh, on reform for our own jail system. This is, uh, this is well before this year. <laughs> this is uh, going back several years ago. Uh, so, you know, I've always known that justice reform is, is a huge issue. I'm endorsed and supported by reformers up and down the state. Um, you know, not just a couple of police organizations, um, and they're all gonna have to trust me in the state Senate to help navigate a path to get justice reform adopted here in the state because that's what we really need. And Ravel, uh, let me go to you on uh, the same subject because I'm looking at a listener's email. Kathy writes, Senator Bell, and it's Bell, not Bill, has done a lot of work in the area of mental health and getting training for police officers to work with people who have mental health issues. I'd like to know where you stand on this. Okay, can I, can I first respond to um, a couple things that uh, Mr. Cortese said? Um, first off, I'm so glad he mentioned LaDoris Cordell because she has endorsed me and supports me strongly. And part of it in 
part in has to do with my strong stance on police reform that is totally different from my opponents. And she knows it because she was the police auditor in San Jose. And talking about those, uh, the death in the jail, I mean, when though that mentally ill inmate a, and who was just mentally ill hadn't really done anything terrible, but he was in the jail and was murdered by three correctional officers in Santa Clara County. And those correctional officers are now in state prison for murder. Uh, Mr. Cortese was quoted in the San Jose Mercury News, and anybody can look this up, saying, well, I guess if that's the price of uh, doing creative work, I guess we all have to live with it. I mean, honestly, that does not show a concern about police reform. In fact, he has a long history of wanting to arm officers in the schools in San Jose, of um, giving equipment to the sheriff that was also used by ICE to track people. I mean, it's, it's astounding if you actually look at not only the amount of money he's received from the police unions over his career, but also the actual actions that he's taken and the actual votes that he's taken. Um, so I just wanted to be able to respond to some of that. And I, I'm sorry, can you repeat again what you actually- No, it's a, it was just a question that. related to what you would propose uh, oh, with respect yes. to mental health. Uh, and, okay, yeah. a mental health. And I absolutely agree that a large percentage of the people in our jail, in fact, this is something that, that they have, uh, um, agreed to over the years is homeless and others who come in and out of the jail, um, but also people who are awaiting trial and, and potentially have mental illness issues. There's a large number of mentally ill and most of the crimes uh, that are done by police officers against uh, mentally ill inmates um, are because they do not work to actually try to find a way to control the situation as opposed to use force. And what we need to have, and I've advocated that for this from the beginning, is mental health professionals who work in teams with police uh, so that they bring their knowledge of mental health and how to deal with those issues to any call, any call, whether it be a traffic stop or whether it be uh, someone who's having a mental breakdown. And so that is, I think, key to doing this and to lowering the, unless, unless there is a potential for violence that, that people believe uh, is going to occur, it should lower the participation of police officers. And so I strongly believe that. And I also think uh, just on the topic of mental health, there, there has been a not enough investment in this county. Um, and they opened two new hospitals and put in no mental health beds in prevention, in trying to treat people in advance of breakdowns. And that's something that I would do in the state Senate because we really need to emphasize mental health. We know that even now in COVID, the number of people who are experiencing issues with mental health has increased 
dramatically. And so the need for more mental health care is really an important issue in this county. And let me go back, Dave Cortez, to you with another question from a listener on uh, criminal justice. Uh, I want to also get your response to something that uh, has come out in the campaign. Uh, Germain to that. But here's Kate who writes, there was a sexual abuse scandal at San Jose's uh, presentation high school recently where many administrators violated mandatory reporting laws and covered up child sex abuse, but nobody was held criminally accountable because of the current laws. How would you address mandatory reporting laws to ensure this never happens again? Well, it can't ever happen again. And we've, we've you know, the Trump administration in August uh, just through Betsy DeVos, just watered down the Title IX policies on sexual assault um, uh, and sexual and protections um, uh, for students, um, you know, of, of any gender. And, uh, you know, we need to turn around. There are uh, state law capabilities and, and the ability of the counties um, and the school districts themselves, more importantly, and private schools um, to go back and augment those rules. You don't have to go to the lowest common denominator of what the federal government is requiring. And you know, this is one of those many, many things that the Trump administration has reversed or watered down that's going to have to be rebuilt and rebuilt as soon as possible. Uh, interestingly, I'm going from this news uh, show, uh, your show, Michael, to uh, a news conference at 1030 where we're going to be talking about Title IX. But uh, at the state level, we we have to do everything in in the statutory power of the state of California, uh, you know, to to make sure that we're, we're not watering down protections um, for mandatory reporting or, or just protections to to deal with prevention in the first place, which what you really want to do is prevent these things from happening. Uh, I think uh, if you're dealing with it um, in, in terms of, of reporting, of course, um, we're already, you know, we're already dealing with um, a trauma-informed problem, and uh, nobody wants to see any of our young people traumatized. Uh, I just want to say, Michael, on you know, in terms of misinformation and mischaracterizations of quotes and so forth, um, I just reread the quote from the Mercury News that uh, my opponent was trying to use to make a point. If you know, if anybody wants the real quotes, the actual quotes, um, uh, which uh, tell a whole different story on, on some of these issues uh, like jail reform, my email address is Dave at davecortezzi.com and just shoot me an email and I'll, I'll send that information right back to you. Same thing with the White House uh, information. It's, it's all very clear. Could you be clear about something else then that has come up with the campaign? Uh, I'd like to know where you stand on uh, the referendum about uh, Judge Aaron Persky because your opponent, uh, Ann Ravel, has uh, essentially stood in opposition to that. What I'm talking about, of course, uh, many people may remain remember was an infamous rape case where a student was charged with rape and received a very, by many people's lights, light sentence of six months. And um, uh, there was a referendum. The judge was removed as a result of that referendum. Uh, Ann Ravel uh, was against it. Uh, that is the referendum uh, for reasons that uh, I think we debated for a great deal on the forum program. But where are you on that? Uh, I did not support. Um, I did not support the um, uh, the the no on recall. I was not in the same position as uh, as uh, Ms. Ravel. Thank you. Uh, I'm calling a recall a referendum, so forgive me for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, it was I, I a guess recall. What I guess what you're asking me is, um, are you are you in, are you in opposition to her on this? Is really what I'm asking. Yeah. Yeah, we were in different places on this. I think she. I think the. the the challenge, uh, perhaps from 
for my opponent right now is that she was at odds with a large piece of the women's movement here uh, in the Bay Area and, and particularly in Santa Clara County. And uh, those folks are still around and they're still unhappy about the fact that Ms. Ravel was involved in uh, defending uh, Judge Persky, um, you know, from a campaign standpoint. And, uh, you know, that's that, that's something that that they're dealing with. It's that's really an issue at this point between the women's movement and uh, and Ms. Ravel. So I guess what I'm asking you, though, is was justice served in the recall of Judge Persky and your judgment? Can you repeat that? I'm sorry. Was justice served uh, in Judge Persky's having been recalled? I think what was important about the Judge Persky recall is that um, the women's movement stood up and they were saying a lenient, um, a lenient sentence um, for Brock Turner uh, after sexually assaulting a woman behind a dumpster who is unconscious. Um, it, it has to be addressed. It has to be addressed. Uh, there's no looking the other way. And I think it, it prompted a nationwide movement that's now called Enough is Enough that was the precursor uh, to the Kavanaugh hearings, which was yet another huge step forward by the women's movement to say, we're not going to take it anymore. Uh, there's got to be a remedy. And there's, an, there's a maxim of law that I think uh, overarches any other argument about this. And that is for every wrong, there must be a remedy. The only remedy that women had at their disposal uh, against this particular judge uh, or this particular situation after the fact uh, was a recall campaign. They exercised that right. Uh, they won uh, by a landslide. Uh, uh, the public sided with them. And, and I think it, it is, it is, it's not only were they correct in doing it, uh, but they launched uh, another huge chapter in the women's movement going forward. And I think that's what's really important. I think right, that's David, why me. we've only got a couple minutes left, and I want to give uh, Ann Ravel an opportunity to respond. Why did you support or uh, oppose the recall, Ann Ravel? I opposed the recall, and let me make it clear that I did not condone the decision Judge Persky made. And people are saying I supported Judge Persky. I did not support J Judge Persky. I support the rule of law, and the work, the decision that he made was found to have been legal and appropriate for a judge. He was not disciplined by the Commission on Judicial Performance. And I believe strongly that judges must be permitted under the law to make decisions that are not going to be influenced by their fear of something like a recall. And in this case, the law was changed and that was a good thing. That was the recourse. When you are a judge, what you need to do is follow the law and do what you're supposed to do. And whether you like it or not, there's a lot of decisions that we despise. And I've had a long legal career and I don't agree with judges all the time, but you don't remove them. You don't have judges who are afraid to be part of the political process. All right. I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there, but I want to thank both of you for an engaging and I think illuminating debate. And wish you both good luck and uh, appreciate your being with us on Forum this morning. Ann Ravel and Dave Cortezzi, candidates for California State Senate, District 15 in Santa Clara County. Thank you for being with us, listeners, and stay safe. I'm Michael Krasny.
Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation.